Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not suffice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. Also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly radio show. Um, we have an awesome show lined up for the day. And, you know, John, I think we're going to jump right into this. We're going to start off talking about um, money in 50s. Yeah, these are good. We're opening up our playbook again. Yeah, I mean, this is, this good is stuff. This is, I mean, this is stuff that's you're headed right down to retirement here. Um, you're in kind of the, the final stretch here, and you don't want to be like that, that that running back here, you know, a while ago that dropped a ball on the one-yard line, fumbled yeah. it, you know, yeah. went all the way back for a touchdown to the other team. That you was a rut-row moment. It is. You cannot fumble the ball heading into retirement here. So stay tuned for this. This is a great topic. We have some great suggestions for you. Yeah, we also have a good article here from uh, Morningstar. It's uh, six reasons uh, why you should invest in a taxable account. Steve, we talk about 401Ks all the time, Roths and so forth. This is something we really haven't spent a, a lot of time on, and it's really important. There's some really huge advantages to socking away some of your retirement in this type of account, and we'll go through uh, that piece of it, so stick around for that. And we're going to close out the show um, talking about some changes that the IRS has made. So there's some new rules out there that we want to talk about and kind of get you up to speed on. Yeah, yeah, there's some things about IRAs that you'll want to be aware of if you if you're not that uh, you know, have changed as well as 401k's. So good topic. All right. And that leads us up here though to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, there's a firm out there called Deloitte. Um they're a CPA uh, accounting firm and they did some research and um not surprising, but they found that 58% of Americans uh, don't have a formal retirement plan in place and that that doesn't surprise me i guess the only thing that surprises me is it's not higher yeah i would have thought dude. I, mean, I think a lot of people lie i just I just <laughs> yeah. heard a freakonomics um podcast on that you know about how people in these surveys they don't tend to tell the truth you yeah. know it's like or do you intend to vote in the next election well of you course know, everybody's gonna say yes everybody but... says oh yeah yeah i'm gonna vote and then they don't show up well i'm afraid it's probably some of the same thing here i bet the number is a lot higher I bet than it's 90 percent. i bet it is too you know when the you know the, a lot of the folks that we work with that's one of the questions they come in our office with is am i on track and that's kind of what a retirement plan does and they never produce a retirement plan almost nobody no. we sit down with can produce a retirement plan they might have an idea they might have a budget they they have but you know that's not really retirement plan i mean retirement plan is a very specific you know a document that projects what it's going to look like in retirement yeah. it tells you where your income's going to come from also has some inflation adjustments many people that do have it the 10 percent, usually leave out inflation that's a huge mistake and it has rates of return calculated on your on your investments and when are you going to start drawing out of that and you know how much that needs to go up each year to make ends meet yep so you know there's some factors going to that so you need to get a, a real retirement plan in place it doesn't have to be that complicated but you know, it needs to be needs to be thorough. Yeah, you know, it does need to be complete. And we so can help with that, right? We definitely can. So yeah, give us a call. You know, if we can help with that. 
And um, okay, and that leads up here to our first topic, though. And this is an article out of Yahoo Finance, and this is one of the it relates directly to that financial fact of the week, mm-hmm. and and that is money mistakes to avoid in your forties and fifties headed into retirement. Um, you know, this is a big deal. I mean, you are in the home stretch. You're in the final maybe fifteen years when you're in your forties and fifties. And you gotta you gotta be on track. You gotta know that you're headed in the right direction when it comes to retirement. And uh, yeah, with retirement right around the corner, I mean, those are the most critical years, arguably, for your your finances. And that's partly because you know when you're fifty somethings, you aren't just you aren't just dealing with the pressure of saving for retirement. Um, this is what they call the sandwich, sandwich genera- generation, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've heard that said. Yeah, we're not talking about food. You know, when you're when you're in that age bracket, oftentimes you're saddled with not only caring for your kids who might be in college and paying for college expenses, but also uh, oftentimes you're caring for parents mm-hmm. that are getting elderly and you're you're starting to help look after their affairs. Um nearly half of adults in their 40s and 50s are raising kids or are financially supporting an adult child, while 15% say that they're financially supporting an elderly parent, according to a recent Pew study. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That is. So, you know, the pressure to support not only themselves, but also their families can leave a lot of room for error when you're in that age bracket. So the first mistake here you want to avoid is dipping into your 401k to put your kids through college. Um, yeah, that's a no-no. Ouch. I mean, that is a big mistake. You know, we've seen this a lot of times with our, you know, people we've sat down with. And we all know that college costs are going up wildly, really. I mean, out of control. We call them the college cartels for a reason. <laughs> you know, colleges raise money. They raise their 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 price just because they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's going up a lot more. And it's disproportionately affecting the middle-class households who are just too broke to pay for college with cash. So, um, And yet they might be too rich to qualify for financial aid. So rather than, um, I mean, what they end up doing is is they might co-sign a loan for their kids' uh, behalf um, to take on more debt, but they also might take a withdrawal out of their 401K to pay for higher education. And there's just one problem with that strategy. Unless you're expecting a big windfall or a cushy promotion at work, how are you going to be able to pay yourself back? Unfortunately, a lot of times you won't be able to pay it back. We see that all the time. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, Steve, we've talked about you can finance college, but you can't finance retirement. So, I mean, this is a big, this is a big mistake. And you know, of those funds that are tough to replenish <clears throat> to, to appropriate levels, if you do pull that out, and you, there are numerous ways for a child to assume responsibility for an education shortfall. However, you know, there are certainly limited ways once you pull that money out to to get retirement back on track. So rather than bankroll your kid's college degree, you know, encourage them to work part-time. Maybe seek out public or community colleges rather than the pricey, you know, private or out-of-state institutions. And um, obviously they can do scholarships or maybe financial aid as well. But uh, avoid this one. This can wreck your retirement. We've seen it happen. Exactly. So leave your 401k alone when it comes to college um, planning and, and paying for college. There are other ways to do that. Uh, okay, next on the list here is prioritizing your mortgage debt over all other debts. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, retiring without a mortgage is one of the most common goals for older workers, as it should be, because it is a very, very important thing to get your mortgage paid off before retirement. 
but mortgage debt shouldn't be it shouldn't take priority over other types of debt you know credit card debts um uh, car loans student loans uh the the average 50 something year old has about $5400 in credit card debts um, and more than one in ten Americans over age fifty still have student loan debt. God, that's amazing. That is amazing. Ten percent still have student loan debt um, over and when you're over fifty. That's just hard to believe. And then twenty percent of those bars is in default on their loans, according to a report by the Federal Reserve Bank. So, you know, it's not like your mortgage and your credit card is going to be forgiven the minute that you leave the workforce. I mean, Uncle Sam won't hesitate to garnish your Social Security, up to 15% of it, to recoup student loan debt or pass taxes that's owed. So you'd be amazed how many people they punch out the last time for work and they waltz home with credit card debts, boat payments, two car payments maybe, timeshare obligations, even a hefty mortgage um you know, according to this uh, CFP, uh, what chief investment officer at this wealth strategy uh, who wrote a book, Dogs Eat Dog, uh, Don't Eat Dog Food When You're Old. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think it's a good title. I like that. I like that. And so here's a rule of thumb. Unless your mortgage rate is greater than 5%, um, this gentleman advises, and, and I would agree with this, against prepaying your home loans. Because a tax advantage, um, you, you know, you have with a mortgage, you can actually deduct the interest. But you can't do that with credit card debt, which you're probably going to have a higher interest rate anyway. And I certainly think Dave Ramsey would agree with that, pay off some of the debt before you, you try to get the uh, the mortgage out of the way. It's obviously important to do that going into retirement, but you've got to prioritize these. Yeah, I mean, I do think you need to have your mortgage paid off. So you just need to have a plan to have it paid off, have it all paid off, including your mortgage by the time you retire. Yeah. You know, so amortize your your mortgage over however many years you have left to retirement and just pay extra until it's you know paid off on on schedule, um, but non-deductible debt like credit cards should be viewed as very short-term debt and paid off at the earliest possible time. Um, you know there are very few investments that return enough to suggest investing in lieu of paying off your credit cards. So you yeah. know that that takes precedence over investing. Yeah, get, get get out of debt. Get out of debt. Get the credit cards paid off. Um, and your mortgage should be the last one, but mm-hmm. it should be also be paid off for retirement. So that's a good one. And then um, next one on the list here is letting your kids take advantage of you. Mm. Now, we do see this, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, very frequent. You know, or maybe it's not even the kids. Maybe it's just parents that are that are just, they just want to hang on and spend too much and help their kids out too much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's time to kick them out of the nest. You know, you've seen a mama, mama bird before. Yeah, just push them. She just... <laughs> pushes them out right i mean there ain't no yeah i mean you're ready kid you're gone she kicks them out of the nest and they fly you know or they they like some that were in my garage the other week um uh they couldn't fly yet they were out of their nest mama kicked them out of the nest they couldn't get back in the nest but they were in my garage just kind of running around because they couldn't quite get are you talking about kids or birds these are birds okay It was pretty funny to watch. So yeah. I, I helped them a little bit, but they yeah. did get they did get to fly and they flew off eventually. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, there are plenty of different cultures where it's perfectly reasonable um, for adult kids to continue to live under their parents' roof until they're married, or at least can sustain a household on their own dime. Um, but you know, you don't want to let that become that a long term habit. Sure. Exactly. So we'll continue this when we come back from the break. 
But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break um, about money mistakes to avoid in your 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an article out of Yahoo Finance by Mandy Woodruff. And, um, you know, she has some great points here. I mean, the first one we talked about, John, was dipping into your 401k to put your kids through college. Yeah, that is so dangerous. And it's so tempting, too. I mean, people do that all the time because, you know, they just feel like they have to put their kids through college. They have to pay for that and not leave their kids with a lot of debt coming out of college. But you cannot make that money up. If you're in your 50s or in your 40s, it's too late in the game. You cannot be foregoing your yeah. 401k plan. I see people working in their 70s because they've done that. Exactly. They can't retire. Yeah, and you get loans for college. They can work part-time. They can go mm-hmm. two years to a local college. Sure. You know, lots of things you can do to cut down expenses, and we're going to talk about that more when we get to the question of the week. And then uh, the next one was prioritizing your mortgage over all the other debts. Again, we love to have your mortgage paid off. We think that's that's paramount for being really free in retirement to enjoy yourself um, but you need to get all the other debts paid off first. That's the last debt you pay off in the priority chain. So that was a really good point. And then the next one here on the list that we just started was letting your kids take advantage of you. Um, and maybe it's not even taking advantage of you on purpose. I mean, it's just by default. You know, if you if you, if you you offer to help your kids out, I mean, they're going to probably accept it. They're used to it. You've mm-hmm. been helping them all their life. Mm-hmm. But at some point, it is time to, to kick them out of the nest, right? And time for them to get a job, get a place on their own, and assume some responsibility. Yeah, insurance, cell phone you know, plans. So, yeah, so, I mean, don't let supporting your kids mean that you put your own retirement in jeopardy. Um, you have to draw the line at some point. I mean, it starts innocently enough maybe by keeping the kids on the family plan for the cell phone. But then um, most people... Uh, after a while, you know, they may be helping their kids with the rent on their new apartment. Um, you know, if you do that for too long, you can easily st- you can't easily stop doing it because kids tend to expect it. So you have to have clearly communicated, you know, what the cutoff point is. Yeah, and that doesn't mean there there isn't a way to support your adult children or, or maybe a relative for that matter. Um, but you got to get something in return. For example, let's say they want to move back home uh, while they work at paying down their student loans uh, or finding a job, which I think is okay. We see that a lot. Yeah. But um, you know, have an agreement. Charge them rent. It could be a, a smaller amount. You don't have to charge full rent for something. Give them some household responsibilities. And um, you know, if you're if you're wealthy enough to do this, um, you can help your kids out. But there's got to there's got to be some um, some strings attached. You've got to they have to have skin in the game. Otherwise, it's a freebie, and they'll expect yeah. it. Yeah, and you you got to wean them off and and make them start taking responsibility and show them that you ex- expect that. I mean, but yeah, it provides incentive for kids to eventually to get a place on their own. Um, you know, if the parent is exceptionally uh, well prepared for retirement, they can always you know return the rent money, but have them contribute you know to to uh, paying rent you know for the house if they're staying at home. 
So I thought that was a good one. Okay, and then next year on the list is underestimating your health care cost. Uh, yeah, this is a biggie. Yeah. You know, in retirement, it can be really expensive. The average 401k balance in the U.S. today is just shy of about $90,000 at last count. Mm-hmm. That's not great if you're in your 40s and 50s. But when you consider that health care for the average retiree will cost upwards of $220,000, it's pretty sobering to realize that so many Americans are way underprepared for retirement and particularly for the health care costs that may be out there um, because, you know, it's a high cost. Nearly 80 percent of the cost of long-term care for elderly also is provided by family members. It could cost up to about almost $7,000 a month for standard nursing home care. And unless you either have deep pockets or you have family members who are willing to pick up the tab, it is unlikely you're going to be able to afford it without some long-term care insurance. So nursing home care is one of those things that's not covered by Medicare, and you really need to think about that and plan for it. Yeah, and a lot of people think Medicaid will come in, and Medicaid's very stringent. You you can only have a certain amount of assets. Um, otherwise, they'll make you spend them down. And they'll that's right. make you take the income from, from your uh, qualified. So long-term care insurance, yeah, you know, for most people, is a, is a good part of a retirement plan. It's a smart way to protect yourself against these costly health care expenses. Um, and the sooner you sign up for a, a policy, um, the, you know, the better. I mean, you know, there's... They go up in cost significantly, and one in four people over the age of 60 um, are actually denied coverage. That's according to, to Bankrate. Um, you know, and, and you know, there's some, a lot of information out there about long-term care insurance. Um, we can certainly help kind of give you some ideas about it, but do some research on it. It's, it's a good barrier between you you're using your assets to pay for these medical expenses. Definitely. Know? Yeah, that's real important. Okay, and the last point here on the list that she makes in this article is expecting too much. Um, yeah, I think this is interesting. I mean, according to Christopher Knight, who's a, a certified financial planner in North Carolina, sometimes clients in their 50s, they go through the, kind of the late career crisis where all that matters is being able to walk away at a certain age, let's say 60. And unfortunately, too many times clients, they become, or people come mentally fatigued and emotionally binded, uh, blinded at the late stage, and they end up with unrealistic expectations of retiring at a certain age, when if they just looked at things objectively, they would realize that they're very unrealistic, you know, so you have to be, have a sobering dose of reality, you know, sit down with a planner or somebody you trust, um, and take a hard look at your finances you might be saving less for retirement and spending more on your day-to-day expenses than you really realize. Um, so you have to have some realistic goals for retirement. You know, a lack of clarity and reality um, can lead to some really bad decisions that can derail your retirement. Mm-hmm. So um, just don't expect too much. Have realistic goals for retirement is the point here. Okay, um, good topic. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. And this was a question that we had emailed to us. Some lady out of New York City uh, was asking about student loan debt. She has $130,000 of debt from from school and has been trying to, to pay those off, um, been putting some extra toward it, uh, but, you know, very frustrated. Uh, she can't really seem to get ahead, and um, she's already driving an old car, living at home, you know, doing all the things she can. So she's asking, you know, how can she possibly get ahead with student loan debt? 
And that is a really tough question, mm-hmm. you know, in her case, because she's already doing a lot of the right things, right? I mean, she's living at home. She's driving a very old car. Um, in this case, she makes a pretty decent income. She got a nursing degree. Unfortunately, the problem started when she took out all that student loan debt, right? right? I mean, $130,000 to get a degree, that, that's too much money for most degrees. I mean, you'd have to be like a medical doctor. Yeah, when unless you, you're going to be making six figures or something. Right. <laughs> it's right. still a tall, tall task. Tall order. So there are a lot cheaper ways, you know, and, and not addressing her problem specifically. But before you get in that situation, you need to think long and hard about college and what you're going to spend on it. And you might need to go locally, you know, get a cheaper degree, find some ways to get a cheaper degree. Don't go $130,000 in debt in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's step one. Once you're in that situation, then you just have to really cut to the bare bone and you got to hit it really hard and you got to take baby steps, let it snowball, um, pay off the smallest debt first. And then continue to plow that money into the next smallest debt and the next smallest and the next one up till you, you build yeah. some real momentum. My, my guess is she's pretty young, so yeah, she didn't really 20, talk. Yeah, 28 in this category. <clears throat> okay, so she ought to try to be you know working overtime, um, working weekends. You know, if you do that for a couple of years and you cut it back, I mean, you can probably have a three-year plan to get through something like that, depending on how much money you make. Yeah, and, you yeah. Know, but that's living bare bones. But after that point, if you can have that as a goal, you know, it can open up. You're in the rest of your life. Right? Yeah, it's definitely doable in three to five years. It might, t- it'll probably take her five. But yeah, if you don't focus on it, you're going to be in that debt for 10, 15 <clears throat> years. And that's just no way to live. You know, you need to go ahead and get this behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that can really hamper your future plans, you know, for for everything. I mean, you'll be in the, she'll have kids and be trying to save for college and still be hampered by this yeah. huge student she'll loan. She'll be in her 50s if she doesn't make it a priority. That's right. Student so loan. she's got to really just focus all your energy on it and really cut to bare bones. Yep. I mean, and, and she's doing a lot of the right things, but you just can't get discouraged. I think paying off the smallest one, building some momentum, Dave Ramsey talks about that, is really powerful because it motivates you and yep. it encourages you. You see some some big progress. And make make a, a visual, um, you know, like we yeah. talked about before. Put it up on the refrigerator. There you uh, go. New York City, I'm impressed that uh, she's listening to us. I know we had people listening all over the yeah. the country, but um, of course. Know, New York City is kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. It's a great question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our, que- our uh, break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and GNN News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And um, you can also pick us up on our website, moneymd.net. Um, you can link to us there. You can listen to the show streaming anywhere in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, podcasts are out there. Podcasts are out there. There's a link to our podcast. Yeah, so pick those up. You can listen to any of our old shows. And uh, do email us your questions. You can email us at info at moneymd.net. We would love to hear from you. Okay, John. Well, that leads up to our next topic here, which is the six key reasons why investing in a taxable account is underrated. Yeah, this is a good topic because people t- totally gloss over 
the benefits of investing in a taxable account. Yeah, this article is from uh, Morningstar, and Christine Benz is the uh, author of it, and it does go into a lot of really good uh, pieces. You know, Steve, we, we talk about, um, you know, tax-sheltered vehicles a lot, IRAs. We do. 401ks, we talk about health care savings accounts, and, you know, at a minimum, these sa- savings, um, they offer, you know, tax-deferred compounding, meaning that you don't pay any taxes on a year-to-year basis as long as you don't withdraw any of the assets. So they're good vehicles to save in, no doubt. And, uh, you know, depending on the vehicle, you may also be able to receive a tax break on your contributions, um, you know, as well. And those tax breaks can help to enhance the uh, the take-home return that you have, and that's nothing to sneeze at. So <clears throat> we're certainly not downplaying the use of these type of vehicles. Um, but there's another one out there. It's called a taxable account, which we're going to get into here uh, just a little bit. And it's, um, you know, it's, a lot of people view that as a last resort, um, something they've considered only after they fully funded their uh, tax-sheltered uh, accounts. But investing in this taxable account, for a lot of people, it can be a sensible maneuver. I mean, it's not just like you're you're running out of tax-sheltered, you know, places to put your money, you know. She goes to go on to say that she argues that most people should actually be funding both taxable and tax-sheltered accounts, um, you know, for their retirement. Yeah, and I would call it a tax-managed account, you know, rather than just taxable. Mm-hmm. Taxable has such a negative connotation. Yeah. But, you know, you you can invest, and as we're going to talk about here, in accounts that have some – they kind of manage the taxes. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're taxable, yes, but they don't realize a lot of gains each year. They don't pay out a ton of dividends. So there's not a, a huge amount of the total return that has to be to have taxes paid on each year. Right, right, right. And so number reason number one um, that people, you know, should consider this type of account is, is the flexibility that it gives. I mean, investing in this um, tax-managed tax account carries two key advantages both of which make them, you know, more flexible than some of the other ones that you have. Yeah, and one of the first benefits of that really is liquidity, John. I mean, if you have near-term income needs or you're simply building up an emergency fund, a, a tax-managed taxable account will allow you to access your money without any strings attached. Um, though you may owe some taxes if you take money out. There mm-hmm. may be some realized gains in there. Um but, you know, the money's totally available. And it is true, Roth IRA allows you to tap your contributions, um, but not your investment earnings at any time for any reason. But I think it's after five years. That's right. right? Yep. So still, there's a holding period there. Um, but a tax-managed a tax managed account like this is totally available, particularly if you invest in no-load funds that don't have any back-end costs when you take the money out. Um, so, you know, you don't have to be uh, conflicted between, you know, the, the, the near-term goals and retirement. Um, this can be money that's available for both of them, you know, and for higher-income folks who need to use their money for tax-advantaged retirement options um, to, to really uh, save on taxes. You know, putting money in, in these accounts, the liquidity really allows you to manage your taxes in retirement. So it's, it's a great way to go. It is. You know, the other reason to invest in this type of account is is so flexibility is that you can invest in, in anything, right? When you're in a company retirement plan or a healthcare savings account, you know, you have limited options. But in this, um, this tax-managed account, um, you really can invest in anything, which is good and bad. you got to be careful with that, but you have a lot more options potentially available than if you're just in a 401k account. So number one is flexibility. And Steve, that's a huge reason to do this. It is. It just opens up a lot of doors. Reason number two is um, 
near tax-free compounding if you plan carefully. And what we mean by that is, um, you know, when you're in a 401k account or an IRA account, tax or the gains are shielded from taxes. And you can potentially do that in this as well. Um, you know, you've got to make sure that you have the right investments in there that um, don't kick off a lot of uh, taxable income and capital gains distributions. You know, one of the options, Steve, that we look at is having exchange-traded funds or maybe an index fund in there as well. Right. So you've got to make sure that you get a tax-efficient um, type of a fund that kind of meets your criteria. And if you do that, then you can have you can minimize your gains associated with that. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that that vehicles uh, like this, um, they work pretty well, particularly in today's environment, because yields are very low on an absolute basis right now. So the tax hit associated with securities that produce income is pretty low. I mean, I think the S&P 500 is only yielding about 2.1% right now. So if you're in a a good, um, no-load, tax-managed fund, uh, that doesn't have a lot of turnover, you're really going to pay tax only on that yield that it's kicking off each year. That's that's pretty darn tax efficient. Yeah, that is. That is. That's a good one. Number three here is you can use tax losses to reduce your tax bill. You know, in addition to the ability to grow your assets, um, having the flexibility and trying to manage the tax piece of it, you can also use this to help your, your current tax bill. And what, what I mean by that is um, if you had a loss, go back to 2008 um, when stocks did really, really poorly, you actually could sell the fund or the stock that you had, and you could put it back into the market into a different security, but you could harvest that tax loss. And you can um, you can actually reduce your income by up to $3,000 per year. So it's a tool that you can use to help to lower your tax bill um, on an annual basis. And I know strategy-wise, we look at that with some people that have these tax-managed accounts. And if there is a, a poorly performing sector or maybe they've had a stock for a long time, time in the technology that did roll poorly, you can use that for your benefit going forward. So it's a good, it's, it's something to consider. It's another advantage of this type of account. Yeah, I do that. I mean, I use tax loss harvesting as much as possible, and it is a very powerful strategy if it's done right. right. So, um, yeah, I do think that's a, a powerful point. You know, the reason number four here, John, which I'm going to cover the whole point, if you don't mind here, is, um, you know, being able to enjoy no or low tax withdrawals. I think people really overlook the tax-advantaged uh, tax rate for long-term capital gains, mm-hmm. right? So when you're investing in a, 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 a tax-managed account like this, long-term capital gains rates... Um, or lower. Yeah. And if you're in a 15, if, well, if you're in a 25 up to 35% bracket, it's only 15% for mm-hmm. long-term capital gains. That's a pretty pretty nice rate for somebody in a high bracket. It's much lower than the income rates. It's much lower than the income rates. Well, if you're in a 15 or a 10% bracket, which a lot of people are in, hey, guess what tax you pay on it's it? It's free. It's free. Yeah. Zero taxes. That is amazing. I mean, it's no better than that, you know? And so you can have a strategy if you have taxable accounts like this, a tax-managed account, where you realize some of those gains, top out the 15% bracket each year, pay no federal income tax on mm-hmm. it and keep resetting your cost basis higher and higher it's a very powerful strategy and um you know that's pretty darn tax efficient i mean you want to take advantage of that if, if at all possible yeah absolutely number five here is you'll have more control over your tax bill in retirement and um you know what we mean by that is you know you'll have the ability you'll have an account that'll have uh, either uh, you know a lower tax basis um, and you'll have a lower cost um, when you pull that out. So if you pull money out of a 401k, that's ordinary income. If you have this tax-managed account, 
um, like you were just saying, Steve, that it could be, you know, 15% uh, charge associated with it. So that's reason number five. You'll have more control um, over your tax bill in retirement. Number six here um, is your heirs will receive a step up in, in basis. And this is getting a little detailed and a little complicated, but, you know, another key advantage is that, that your heirs will be able to take advantage of the step up in cost basis. And basically what that does is that wipes out any capital gains tax liability that you've racked up over the holding period. So, you know, that means when you when they yeah. inherit assets, um, you know, from you, the taxes they eventually owe when they sell will be calculated by looking not at the purchase price, but the time of death. So, I mean, this is this is a big deal. It's a powerful estate planning tool, and people overlook that, John, because, you know, what happens is people pile money up in 401k plans, right? And then when they pass away, guess what? That's all taxable. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you're lucky, you can leave it to your spouse, or you've named your kids as beneficiaries, and they can stretch it out. But still, somebody's going to pay tax on that money Government's when it comes out, it. all That's of right. it, every dime of it. Um, but if you have money in a tax-managed account... It basically passes tax free because mm-hmm. it gets a step up in basis. So the basis and the value are equal at the date of death. It passes on um, as tax free money that's totally available and liquid for for your heirs. Yeah. So it's a very powerful tool. It allows them to pay state taxes. They can pay the funeral costs. They can pay whatever they want to pay out of it without incurring any taxes in the estate. Yeah. We, so, we love this account. This is a, yeah, we do. It's kind of a, you need to have some money in a tax managed account mm-hmm. in addition to your retirement plan. Um, it's a it's a powerful strategy. Yep. So, all right, good topic, and that leads up here to our break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are um, starting off our last segment here with the uh, prescription prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is um, do not abandon your old 401k. So when you leave a job, um, yeah, that's do, a good point. Typically, do something with it. Um, Dave Ramsey recommends that you roll it out into uh, either a self managed IRA or you get someone to help you. But you know, a lot of times um, he he does that for two reasons, Steve. One of them is control. Yeah, that you have. You know, you can control the funds that it's in. You can control um, moving it, whatever you need to do, versus having to go through the company's administration process. So control is one piece of it. The other thing is, um, you know, within the 401K, you have um, limited funds, and sometimes those funds are good, but sometimes there's not. So if you move it out into a self-managed, self-directed IRA or you get an advisor to help you, um, you'll, you'll have access to more funds in the marketplace. so That's right. Yeah, I've seen, you know, it's interesting. I've seen stats before that talked about the the dollar amount of pension and 401k plans that are lost, abandoned forever. <laughs> yeah. You know, where people just, they left a job, they worked there 15 years or 10 years, you know, when they were younger, and they built up money in a pension plan or a 401k, 
And then they moved, and they forgot to note it. You know, they only mm-hmm. get a statement once a quarter or once mm-hmm. a year, and they forgot to notify them that they were moving. And they moved a couple times real quick, and the money, and they just forgot about it, and just, it's gone. I just had a client that received a $30,000 check from an abandoned, and this was a, a savings account, and this yeah. was back from 1999. So it's been 15 years. They wow. couldn't track her down. And uh, she got a notice from the state saying that they had – um, they had an account they thought was hers, and I looked at it, and I'm like, I think this is valid. This is real. Yeah. And she went through the process, and she got a $30,000 check. Wow. Talk about found money. <laughs> yeah. She's getting a new car. Whoa. That's a, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to, to just forget about things, you know, and you remember when you leave, oh, yeah, I got a little pension there or something. Well, then maybe a lot more than you think, and um, or a 401k plan. Another thing I see people do that I think is a huge mistake is – is they will when they abandon these plans, they'll leave the money in cash. Yeah, and it you know does I mean, nothing. they just for some reason they were scared out of the market at the end there. They were being conservative, and they had intention of going back in, but they changed jobs. The money's been sitting there, and I'll look at one that's like ten years old. It's been in cash for ten years. Yeah, and it's retirement money. Yeah, and it's like oh man, that's Missed too bad. You know, there's your your thirty thousand dollars would have grown to. Uh, I don't know. You know, 60, pick, pick your number, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, maybe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you got to look at those old four hundred one k plans. Don't abandon them. Don't let them uh, just sit there and rot. Yeah. Um, get Do them, something with them. Get them consolidated, rolled over. Get it marched into the same drum beat as your current money, all invested towards your long term goal of retirement. Yep. Yep. So I think that's a great prescription of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our last topic here, and this is um, talking about some. Some recent changes um, <clears throat> that happened a little while ago about uh, 401k plans and IRAs that you may not be aware of. Um, you know, these are some good developments for, for 401k plans, particularly in rolling money out. Um, and and so what happened was internal revenue, they changed the rules a while ago that allowed big savers to use their 401k accounts to fund Roth IRAs, and you can do it without paying income taxes during the process. Mm-hmm. So, and it's because um, these rulings offer uh, ways to convert your after-tax money directly to a 401k plan yeah, and, or to a Roth IRA. Right, right, right. And, and, you know, everyone who is retiring from a company and is therefore looking at rolling money out of the company plan should maybe investigate if this is, um, you know, maybe they have after-tax money in the plan, um, you know, and that's something that they need to look at. I mean, it's a no-brainer if you can roll it directly into a Roth account. Um, you know, which is, it's a, it's a positive thing for, for uh, folks with after-tax money. Yeah, and so if you take a, advantage of this rule, your 401k plan has to allow after-tax contributions. Um, it's really popular with uh, small businesses, and after-tax contributions are permitted by almost all of the large company plans out there, according to um, th- this article. And, I mean, it is true. We see that all the time, particularly mm-hmm. after people max out <clears throat> their plan. So here's how it works. I mean, your 401k um, plan, if you're under age 50, you can divert up to $17,500 of your money um, in, in current year. Uh, it goes up every year. So, uh, And then you can divert that into your 401k, or it can go into the Roth 401k. So the combination you know, of what you can put in your retirement plan, your 401k, is uh, about seventeen five. It's going to be... You know, eighteen thousand. I mm-hmm. think next year, 
And if you're under 50, for over 50, it's 23,000 going to 24,000 next year that you can divert into that. And so once you reach that limit, though, um, you can still put in after-tax money um, into your plan. Uh, so your after-tax contributions can go all the way up to $52,000 a year in some plans, and that's money that can be rolled out to a Roth IRA. Yeah, and after-tax contributions, they, they do receive the fewest tax breaks with with these pre-tax contributions to a traditional 401K, for example, employees deduct their contributions and pay income tax on their withdrawals when they're in retirement. Um, and, uh, you know, the plan is, is hopefully they're in a lower tax bracket. With a Roth, employees forego the upfront tax deduction, but their withdrawals can be tax-free. And um, that's with, you know, but with after-tax contributions, account owners receive no deductions and they have to pay uh, income tax on the profits they earn associated with it. So the Roth is a good place to uh, end up. Yeah, and so what they're doing is the IRS is letting participants transfer con- after-tax contributions directly to a Roth IRA um, where the money can grow tax-free forever. So it's kind of a backdoor way, I think, John, of getting extra money in a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. If you have a 401k plan at work, you can max out your after-tax contributions and then Almost immediately, well, when you retire, certainly, but when you're 59 and a half, you can roll that money out. Um, and most plans, I think, let you roll it out even before 59 and a half, your after-tax contributions, and it can roll out into a Roth. So it's pretty cool. Yep. Pretty cool tool. There's a couple of rules you have to keep in mind before moving the after-tax contributions to a Roth. Those 59 and a half and older must first transfer their pre-tax savings to a traditional IRA. And if you want to move some, um, uh, if you want to move only some some of the pre-tax money, for example, maybe half of it into a regular IRA, then you have to move the same proportion uh, of your after-tax balance into a Roth. And um, so it, it can can get confusing um, associated with it. But I think the fact is, is if you can put the after-tax money into a Roth account, um, you know that's that's a good that's going to be a good deal for you long term. Yeah, that's a powerful tool. Now, one other rule here that recently came about is that the Supreme Court ruled that IRA owners who want to leave their accounts to their heirs, um, they don't get the the bankruptcy shielding that the original account owners get. So if you inherit an IRA, that money is now subject to your creditors. So mm-hmm. if you get in financial trouble and you get sued, um, you know that's that's going to affect it. Now it doesn't. It's some states like Alaska and Arizona and Florida. They provide some protection for that, but you know in other states the um, the laws don't allow you to protect that money. So that's one ruling that's negative yeah. out there for IRA owners. Yeah, and there's there's ways that you can uh, maybe protect some of that there you can uh, do a trust um yep. you know those charges are anywhere from 3500 to 5000 for this this trust and then there's cost associated uh, with managing the assets associated with it so um you know because an ira an ira trust must comply with complex tax rules there's a risk that the irs could invalidate it as well and in that case your heirs wouldn't qualify to take withdrawals over their life expectancies um you know a lot of complicated things here obviously when you start talking about trust you you want to go to a, a cpa um you want to go to an attorney you want to get into yeah. into that side of it because this does get confusing um i think the positive thing coming out of this is 
you know, taking after tax money and the back door into the Roth is is very very beneficial. Could be long term. It is. I think that's a neat neat change. And you know, there is one other IRA change recently that I'll mention, and that is you can only do one rollover now. Mm-hmm per year yeah. for your IRA. So if you're doing that 60-day, a lot of people will do a 60-day rollover to borrow money out of their IRA, which I would, I don't suggest doing that anyway unless you absolutely had to because um, a lot of times that money doesn't get back in there and they end up paying tax on it. But you can only do that once a year. And also you can only roll your roll, your money over uh, once a year. You can transfer between custodians, but you cannot roll it from a 401K to an IRA um, and then roll it back to a 401k or roll it from 401k to another 401k to another 401k to mm-hmm. an IRA. You can't yeah. do all that in one year. Yeah. So you got to be aware of that. Transfer you can. It's- yeah, transfers are, are still unlimited. So interesting changes here for IRAs and just some things to keep in mind. Um, but uh, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Um, we'd love to hear your questions. Do email us at info at moneymd.net. With your questions, you can also uh, check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. You can pick up a podcast, as we mentioned earlier, at moneymd.net. And, um, you know, or give us a call at the office at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Stay tuned for Georgia Tech football coming up. Um, The Spirit of Racing with Doug Allen will be on from 4 to 6 today. So have a great, great afternoon. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.